0: Okay, would you like to turn to uh, Matthew 20? We're working through a series on the parables. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So this is going to be a sermon, part sermon, part prayer meeting. Thought that would get you excited. (laughs) Towards the end, I think just a bit of involvement, I think it'd be good for all of us to, to pray towards a couple of things. And it seems appropriate then for me to start by praying. <laughs> Lord God, uh, I need your help this morning. I pray that you just uh, just bless my mouth, that what comes out would be, Lord, your words. Um, let the rubbish be put to one side and the words of your mouth, Lord, just ring true. Lord, we... Thank you for Callie's prayer earlier that yes, you are are that treasure which we desire and everything else next to you is rubbish. Um, I pray that I can uh, speak some of that treasure, Lord, uh, this morning, Lord, and that it would be you this morning and not me. Help us all. Amen. Okay. So parables. I thought I'd just make a quick word about parables. If anyone ever said uh, or explained that parables are nice moral stories, they were either lying or they didn't actually know what they were talking about. Parables are not nice. They're very bitter pills, perhaps with a thin sugary coating, but they are hard. Uh, Jesus' intention for parables um, was not just like a, a simple memory aid, His intention was that he was going to bring about change uh, to affect things in people. Sometimes that would bring offense, and he offended quite a few people. But to hear a parable and not be challenged or not to be changed is missing the point. So that's a very serious start, (laughs) but that's what I hope will be uh, the aim today, that something will change uh, in each of us and that we will at least be challenged in some way or other. What does the Word say about this? We know the Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. These are what the parables are. They uh, are a sword, a scalpel. Sorry, I'm using too many medical metaphors already. (laughs) Bitter pill, scalpel. I didn't. (laughs) But the intention is to change you. So God willing, that will happen this morning. Shall we read? For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, they each received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Okay. Heavy stuff so far. How about... uh, A little bit of uh, scene setting and an excuse to post more holiday snaps. (laughs) Um, The scene is a vineyard. Uh, The picture on the top left is a picture I took just outside Jerusalem of an ancient vineyard they dug up underneath a a rubbish tip. And that little hole you can see, that little uh, well, is where they would throw all the grapes in and crush them down with their feet. It had to be in the vineyard because it had to be quick. They had to pick the grapes and get them crushed and get the wine or the grape juice out quickly. And the other picture is a a typical vineyard in Israel now. And I think, I'm not sure how old those walls are, probably not 2,000 years old, uh, but a a sign of the kind of protection that would need to be put around uh, these vineyards. Okay, so bear those pictures in mind. So it would be worthwhile starting from the beginning. Normally works. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Stop there. Uh, four. Why is the four there? If you see a four, it's there for a reason. Okay, look back. Matthew 19. If you could turn to Matthew 19 verse 27 let's read that okay so the context is that it was just after the rich young ruler had come and jesus had challenged him that you need to give away all your possessions and the discussion sort of followed on with the disciples you know how can this be possible with god all these things are possible then peter who I think it's a very bad press as the kind of clown of the disciples who always says the wrong thing. I am going to defend Peter and say he's the only one who actually spoke his mind and spoke what everybody else was actually thinking because the rest of the disciples made it to themselves frequently enough as well, not just Peter. Peter said in reply, see we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will first curious little verse just to stick on the end there jesus is concerned for the disciples about the way they view um, rewards uh, and getting and gifts and getting uh, gifts from god and it's out of that that jesus feels a need to tell them Uh, this little bitter pill of a parable uh, as to what God's view of reward is. So with that context, now we can start again. Oh, yes. Uh, Forgot to put this in. Jesus is drawing a very clear contrast. Um, First, last, your way is not God's way, God's way is very much different to your way, and we'll see that through through the parable. So four: The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now I've learned some lots of very interesting facts this week uh, about grapes <laughs> and picking them. Uh, Apparently, it needs to be done quite quickly. Um, When you pick a grape, it stops ripening immediately, unlike most fruit. So when the time is right, when the fruit is ripe perfectly and the weather conditions are not too wet, you need to harvest. You need all hands on board. So I think the disciples would have understood where Jesus was coming from already, that uh, this master, needed all the laborers he could get his hands on. There was an urgency. Mm. And he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day. Uh, A denarius, as you're probably already aware, maybe about a day's wage, which was right, fair, uh, a reasonable price to to pay for the, the wage of a worker. Who are the idle workers then? Who is Jesus speaking of? Well, it's everyone who isn't saved. Everyone who's outside uh, of the, the kingdom of heaven. Idle in sin. Idle, maybe very actively idle <laughs> in sin, but not uh, active in the kingdom of heaven, not saved. So who are the early morning workers and who are the 11th hour workers now there, there, there's a few different views as to who they may be first view the 6am workers some say might be the jews uh, in that they were there the promise was given to them thousands of years ago that they've been laboring for yahweh uh, for, for many many years now these Gentiles are coming in at the 11th hour. Now, there may be some truth in that view, in that the book of Matthew was uh, written at a time when there were probably more Gentile believers than there were Jewish believers, and there was antagonism between growing between the two. So maybe Matthew's intention was to try and reconcile them again. However, I think in this context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and is speaking more generally um, about one believer to another of any uh, class, of any race. Okay. So, verse 8. This is when the problems start. Now, When the evening came, the master said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, obviously, this gave the the first workers an opportunity to see what the master was doing. He was paying the last denarius. Okay, right, calculations start going through their brain. That's one denarius for one hour. We've done effectively 12 hours, which is wow, 12 denarii, 12 days work pay. That's something to look forward to. But they didn't. They got the same denarii. So Jesus is now pointing out this is man's way of viewing things. And uh, even now, reading it, I still feel, well, yeah, you that know, actually sounds quite reasonable. <laughs> um, how often do we still make those calculations, uh, still make those judgments? Even though I know full well, that's not the gospel of grace. Uh, still, why do I feel that temptation? Yes, it sounds right. I want it to believe it, but no, it's not. Jesus is trying to draw this out to the fore to show what, what we are really like. So what did their envy achieve? Now, uh, I didn't want to, but I felt a need to talk about envy this morning. Um, it's not something that's often discussed, uh, not something that's often preached on. But how evil is envy? <laughs> um, I've heard sin called fun. (laughs) Uh, Who's who's, uh, enjoyed being envious? Uh, Oh, Tim's got that excellent memory card with 32 gigabytes. I feel so good about being envious about that. I always wonder what else he's got that I could be envious of. No, it doesn't, (laughs) it's not even enjoyable. It's not even pleasurable, but (laughs) joking aside, envy is perhaps one of the most insidious uh, of sins how easy it can seem to be acceptable Uh, it appeals to our sense of justice it appeals to our sense of righteousness that well you know what did they do to deserve that why don't I have that it's it's only fair so uh, envy can creep in so very easily and what's my qualification for talking to you about envy this morning probably number one guilty contender Um, it always happens that when I'm given a sermon that it always seems to be painfully close to the truth of what I'm going through and I end up having to humiliate myself (laughs) in front of everybody else now I'd don't need to tell you the reasons why I feel envious but I am at the moment and there are friends people who I am envious of for various things and it got to the point really that I questioned God's fairness okay (laughs) so what's my qualification well God's dealing with this with me so if you can bear with me Will you allow him to uh, perhaps deal with any envy that you may be dealing with this morning as well? I've had to repent uh, again and again uh, for envy. But I thought it'd be worthwhile just to perhaps bring it a bit more clearer, you know, just what is this secret insidious evil that we're dealing with? Um, What does envy do to us? It kills us. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Very true. Um, It's not done me any good. It doesn't do anybody any good. If you hold on to envy, uh, what does that do to your soul? It gives you no pleasure. It makes it worse. You feel rotten inside. I can testify to that. Now, there's an, another proverb uh, which says, Proverbs 27, there it is. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? How much more influential is envy over the way you act? Anger is obvious, it's there. Okay, I'll deal with that. I'll keep that out the way. I'll hide that. How much more influence can envy have over you in the way you act, and the way you deal with people? It has been more pervasive in me than it has perhaps any other sin lately. What else does it do? It destroys relationships. It destroys you. It destroys relationships. You only have to look at the stories in the Bible like Joseph's brothers. What happened to Joseph? <laughs> That's fairly destruction of a relationship. They throw him in a pit and sell him for... For uh, a few coins, King Saul tried to kill David. That's a fairly destructive relationship. What does envy do to a church? Are their relationships being destroyed, being held back inside church because of envy? Is envy something that the sword of the Lord, that scalpel, needs to cut out and dig out if a church is going to grow? Because how can we be a family if we're envious of each other? Envy is something that we need to be painfully aware of and seriously attentive to removing because it is a lot more destructive than we give it credit for. destroys us. It destroys our relationships with others. destroys our relationship with God. Romans 1.28 is that very famous passage about sin pervading uh, into to people and then what, how gradually people are torn away from God. If I just read a part of that. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. There were numerous, very numerous verses in the Bible that lists envy high up on the list uh, with all the other dead, well, so-called deadly sins. They're all deadly. They'll all kill you. But envy is not to be mistaken for a lesser sin, <laughs> nor is it any less harmful to your relationship with God. Confess that, yes, uh, envy didn't do me any favors. I felt further away from God the point of repenting yes he's there again (laughs) so quickly so what I wanted to do at this point and I said this would be a prayer meeting I've prayed and I wondered if now I don't know if anybody here are like me I imagine that there must be at least one other (laughs) so this must be worthwhile to actually spend a few minutes, if I pray for us all about envy, to pray yourselves afterwards, just for a minute or two, to think if there is anybody you are envious of, if there is any way that you are envious to allow the Spirit to deal with that now. So if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes. Lord, I felt this was right today just to to tackle this issue lord and father i know you hate envy and you despised it in me because you were concerned for my good you were concerned for my health you were concerned for my relationships with other and others and you were concerned about my relationship with you and i just want to pray for all of us that forgive us if we have lord been envious and allowed envy to creep in lord i pray that you just bring to mind any people who we have sinned against through envy and lord we just want to take a moment just to ask for your forgiveness and uh, ask for your grace amen it's all very depressing (laughs) Jesus has pointed out man's view what we do what we're all falling towards there is God's view there is a better end to this story and Jesus wants us to see it from God's point of view now so friend I'm doing you no wrong Did you not agree with me for a denarius? The master is acquitting himself of unfairness. God is never less than fair. He may choose to be more than fair (laughs) with others, but he is never less than fair. Um, It would have been fair for God to have sent us all to hell. (laughs) And if we're looking for justice and fairness... That would have been the consequence. So why would we be tempted to question God's fairness? <laughs> what a dangerous place to be in. I think, there's, I've got a quote, and you probably won't be surprised to hear it. It's from Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And I think it just put it all uh, a lot better than I could. So if I just read that now. Jesus' story makes no economic sense, but that was his intent. He was giving us a parable about grace, which cannot be calculated like a day's wage. The employer in Jesus' story did not cheat the full-day workers. No, the full-day workers got what they were promised. Their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace they would not accept that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money when it meant paying scoundrels 12 times what they deserved. Significantly, many Christians who study this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. (laughs) We like to think of ourselves as responsible workers and the employer's strange behavior baffles us as it did the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. None of us gets paid according to merit, for none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirements for a perfect life. If paid on the basis of fairness, we would all end up in hell. I think that's fairly... (laughs) Clear now if God has forgiven us in that way if God has lavished grace on us what is Jesus wanting from us in terms of our attitude isn't it just simply to replicate what he uh, has done for us what does envy do it makes us hurt ourselves it hurts others and it hurts God what does grace do it heals our soul and saves us It helps us to love others and it brings us back to God by whose grace we are now with him again. Grace or envy, which is it you're going to (laughs) choose? Are you going to envy others or are you going to treat them graciously? Now this is a challenging part. (laughs) I was thinking we should pray again that you... I've prayed forgiveness for your envy, but how about doing something gracious for those people you are thinking you're envious of? How about praying for their blessing? How about praying that God would bless them more and that they would have more? I'm going to pray briefly and then ask you again just to pray for a couple of minutes, if you so dare. (laughs) Lord, what are we to do with your gospel? Lord, you are outrageously gracious and your grace is more than we deserve. Lord, how do we respond to that? Lord, we just have to, as Nigel was saying earlier, we have to surrender. We just have to come, surrender to you and agree to your terms. The terms of a gracious, loving God. And Lord, I just want to ask that you would bless magnificently all those people I've been envying. And Lord, help us, give us the grace to dispense grace out, Lord, in prayer right now. Amen. What would happen to a church where no one envied each other but prayed consistently gracious blessing on each other? What would, be, what would it look like? How fast would it grow? What would our relationships be like if that was our attitude? You're always going to, well, I'm always going to slip back to uh, self-righteous, uh, <laughs> self-promotion, but what if we can practice a bit more God's true grace? The chapter continues um, I won't read all of it, but looking at this other portion, verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you Must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was just before these verses that Jesus warned his disciples that he was about to go to Jerusalem and be killed by the Gentiles. Our calling is to be servants um, to others. If we want to be great, if we want great reward, if we want to be, if like Peter, want to know what's going to be (laughs) coming our way, you need to think about making yourself less and serving others. And I was going to perhaps finish with, it's not been very long, (laughs) the, the band perhaps coming up and maybe that last song again. Is Anthony here? it was only yesterday however I noticed um, there was a bit more at the end of this chapter (laughs) Uh, if you're now feeling rather downhearted well okay I must uh, I must be gracious I must uh, must serve I must sort of stamp down uh, my attitudes my my desires I must live like a monk no (laughs) The chapter finishes uh, with that amazing story. um, The two blind men crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping Jesus, called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And he healed them. He is still the same Jesus who would say, what can I do for you? Still the same Jesus who wants to be gracious to you as well as to others. If you need something, call out to him. He is a gracious, loving God. He is a generous father. So don't be envious of others. Bless them and just ask God. And I think it'd be good just to finish with a bit of praise, uh, (laughs) thanking God and blessing him for his amazing grace.